Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. You're looking kind of sick today. Yeah, I feel kind of sick. I'm feeling a little bit congested, but good thing I've got some soup here. It looks like it's alphabet soup. That's my favorite with the letters and the noodles. Let me see what I can fish out here. I got an M-A-O-Y, a T-C-A-S-S-R-I. Yeah, and I see an S-N-R-I. Yeah. Well, this is chicken soup for the depressed soul, let me tell you. Yep. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? We're talking about antidepressants. So this is the beginning of our second round of psychiatric pharmacology. And we're going to kick it off like we did last time, talking about antidepressants. Last time we talked about common antidepressant medications. Those would be the selective serotonin and noradrenergic reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs and the SNRIs. But there's a couple of others as well, and we wanted to circle back and talk about them. Right. We're going to be talking more about TCAs and MAOIs. Perfect. This episode is going to get a little bit more advanced, and it probably will get a little bit more technical as a heads up. So, James, can you tell us a little bit about the history of antidepressants? This is important in understanding why we have the antidepressants that we have today. Antidepressants have gone through several phases in terms of how we think about them. The older ones, like the MAOIs and TCAs, were largely just discovered because people found that they worked. They were found for another reason and somebody was taking them and they realized, oh, this this kind of has antidepressant qualities. And so while they worked, they hit all sorts of different systems and they had a lot of side effects that people actually didn't like all that much. So these medications were discovered accidentally, in other words, Mm -hmm. and they're essentially kind of dirty drugs. Right. And by dirty, you mean they're hitting multiple receptors. Exactly. Now that we have a better idea of which specific receptors are involved in depression, we also have a better sense of what receptors the medicine should hit. For instance, we often talk about the monoamines, which are... Serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Yeah, exactly. As we've started to highlight those ones, we also started to pick drugs that are more targeted to hit those. And because they're hitting those receptors, they're not hitting the other ones, and there are fewer side effects. That said, MAOIs are some of the original antidepressant medications. So let's talk a little bit about those specifically. MAO, or monoamine oxidase, is an enzyme, and these, true to their name, inhibit that enzyme. These were discovered in the 1950s, actually, after ipronized, which is related to the antibiotic isoniazid, which you've definitely heard of for treating tuberculosis. Ipronized was not great at treating tuberculosis, but it was a pretty good antidepressant. So they gave ipronized to people, didn't cure their TB, but they felt less depressed. Yeah. What it was found to do was block this enzyme, monoamine oxidase. And what people have subsequently found is that that enzyme is responsible for oxidatively deaminating neurotransmitters. So that you can think back to biochemistry, it's deaminating, it's, it's using the oxidative process to remove an amine group from some of these neurotransmitters, like the ones you just said, serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And that's why we think that it's an antidepressant. 
Now, monoamine oxidase, this enzyme, comes in two forms, MAOA and MAOB. How are those two different? MAOB breaks down (laughs) phenylethylamine and, with MAOA, is also responsible for breaking down dopamine. In contrast, MAOA is responsible for breaking down the other two, so that'd be serotonin and norepinephrine. My guess is that the MAOIs that inhibit more of the A stuff, which prevent the breakdown of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, would have more of an effect for your antidepressant. That's right. Yeah, as opposed to just purely blocking MAOB, that's more the phenylethylamine. Man, that's a tough one to say. And it's going to be less effective for depression. If you've heard one thing about MAOIs, you've probably heard something about food. Yeah, I think you often hear about people needing to avoid cheese or wine, but it's a little bit unclear which cheeses. And so people are usually kind of scared to go on these drugs because there do tend to be some dietary restrictions involved. Yeah, that's exactly right. This MAO enzyme is distributed throughout your body and tissues everywhere. Blocking MAO in the gastrointestinal tract is responsible for this cheese reaction. And that's specifically because the tyramine is also metabolized in the GI tract, but blocking MAOA allows it to flow into your general bloodstream. Oh, so you have too much tyramine floating around in your system. Yep, exactly. And so tyramine sounds a lot like tyrosine, which is an amino acid, which is true because it's a metabolite of tyrosine. The problem is that too much tyramine leads to this hypertensive crisis. How does that happen? It leads to a lot of norepinephrine release, which leads to vasoconstriction that increases your heart rate and your blood pressure. Okay, so MAOIs have the potential to increase your tyramine levels, which in excess can cause this hypertensive crisis. That's exactly right. Okay. So to avoid that you would avoid eating a lot of tyramine. You mentioned some of the foods. Do you have a sense of what foods have tyramine in them? Believed aged cheeses are more of the problem as opposed to a fresh cheese. Aged foods in general. So old foods are out. In fact, aged cheese is the number one cause of hypertensive crises where people who are eating MAOI, (laughs) people who are taking MAOI, not eating them. Also, other things that are smoked or cured or pickled, your Norwegian diet is straight out. Super ripe foods like really ripe bananas, really ripe avocados, other fermented things, wine, beer, soy sauce. Aged fermented things typically that are the most problematic in terms of the dietary restrictions. Yeah. What other side effects are there with MAOIs? Serotonin syndrome is a potentially dangerous situation that results from a buildup of too much serotonin. Other antidepressants can also contribute, but MAOIs are notorious for causing this most intently and more frequently than other medications. Because they hit a lot of receptors, MAOIs can also interact with a lot of medications, so the potential for drug-drug side effects. Even though we just said they can cause hypertension, MAOIs tend to cause hypotension, and we don't really know why. I read a lot of things, but I couldn't find a great reason for why they would actually lower your blood pressure. But having low blood pressure can cause you to be orthostatic and feel dizzy. Also, these tend to hit the anticholinergic, so those would be your side effects like dry mouth and GI upset and urinary hesitancy, headaches. Sounds like there's a fair amount of side effects with these medications, potentially lethal side effects. Yeah, absolutely. Nonetheless, we do use these medicines, and I want to talk about three in particular that I think you're most likely to come across. 
Now I'm going to talk about whether they hit more MAOA or MAOB, but you'll recall that the antidepressant part is MAOA. A, exactly. Okay, drug number one, tranalcipermine, brand name Parnate. So this one strongly blocks MAOA and less MAOB, which is the combination that we were just talking about. This one is more likely to cause activation or people having more energy. Consequently, it can cause a little bit of weight loss and insomnia if you have too much energy at nighttime. So this isn't something you want to take at bedtime. It almost sounds like a stimulant when you talk about it, like insomnia, weight loss, activation energy. That could be because the structure is actually a little bit similar to the amphetamine classes. The common dose to start at might be like 10 milligrams. Increased to 30 to 60 milligrams, often divided, but again, not too late in the day. Medication number two, phenylzine, brand name Nardil. This one strongly inhibits both MAOA and B. And unlike the insomnia of transcyclamine, this one actually causes the opposite. Some weight gain, more fatigue, sedation. This one can cause some sexual dysfunction. Common doses starting at 15 milligrams, increase to 15 twice a day or three times a day, a total of 60, 90 milligrams divided. So this one tends to be less activating in general. It's more sedating. That's exactly right. Yep. And then third, selegiline. This is kind of an interesting one because it acts differently depending on the amounts. If you just took a little bit, you would inhibit MAOB. And we said that's not the antidepressant one. It would be hitting dopamine. Yeah, exactly. In combination with MAOA. And at higher doses, this one's hitting both MAOA and B. So if you just took in a low amount, like you said, it would increase your dopamine. And if you took it at a high amount, it would increase dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine because you're getting the full effect there. So if we are using selegiline for depression, would we want a higher dose then? Yeah, because it would not work as a low dose. It would not work as an antidepressant. Can you think of a disease when you would want to increase your dopamine levels? I would think that might be useful in Parkinson's disease. For sure. And it is sometimes used in Parkinson's. Do you think that would also require the dietary restrictions? I would say no, because it's not inhibiting M-A-O-I-A. Yes. It's hard to say all those letters sometimes. Yeah, that's the alphabet soup part. So at high doses, you're hitting both M-A-O-A and B. You're inhibiting those enzymes and you act as an antidepressant. It does require the dietary restrictions to prevent the hypertensive crisis. This medicine also comes in two forms. It comes in a pill, like normal. It also comes in a patch, which is transdermal. The brand name for the patch in particular is called MSAM. It's the higher amount, like we were saying, so it's hitting both A and B. It works as an antidepressant. Interestingly, though, it because it is absorbed through your skin, it bypasses your gut, which is where we said the whole tyramine situation comes into play. So do you need dietary restrictions still? Not really. Theoretically, you wouldn't need that. However, if you take the highest amount of the patch, some people have found that they actually still need to reduce some of their time in their diet. Also, this is the only antidepressant that comes in a patch form. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. When you're thinking about MAOIs, we've just listed three. It's important to think about other serotonergic, uh, that I mean medicines that are increasing your serotonin levels, like another antidepressant could also do that. If you were already on an SSRI, something that was boosting your serotonin, you'd have to wait a couple weeks, usually 14 days, until you can start an MAOI. Otherwise, you'd have way too much serotonin in your system. Right. It would be that serotonin syndrome risk that we were talking about. Exactly. 
Also, if you stop an MAOI, you should also wait a couple of weeks for it to wash out of your system before you can start an SSRI. What about something like fluoxetine because it stays in your system for so long? Great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Fluoxetine lasts forever. Forever. Fluoxetine. Good recall. Check out our antidepressant episode. So yeah, so you should wait five weeks after fluoxetine because it sticks around for so long. So we have talked so far about MAOIs. I want to move on and also talk about TCAs. Why don't we learn a little bit about the history? Maybe we can get a historical sound effect. Okay, like MAOIs, TCAs were used after imipramine was found to be a useful cyclic molecule. We're talking the late 1950s, all the way really until the 1980s, when people started using selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, instead. TCAs are still used to treat depression, as well as things like anxiety and panic and insomnia, also chronic pain. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. I did want to touch also on the structure of this, as long as we're getting biochemical here. Sometimes people call these tricyclics, and TCA actually refers to tri- and tetracyclic molecules. I would think tri would refer to three and tetra to four. Well, somebody has studied Latin. Nope. <laughs> so they have three or four ring structures in the middle. They also have this side chain. You think these three or four rings are making a big difference? Maybe. No, that was a trick. It's actually the side chains. Side that chain. was a that was a setup. Sorry, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> well, tell me more about these side chains. These mysterious side chains. So you have a tertiary amine that would be two methyl groups on a nitrogen, or it's a secondary amine, which means it has one methyl group on the nitrogen. These days, we have five meds in the United States that are tertiary amines and three meds that are secondary amines. We're going to talk about the side effects again a little later, but we'll come back to the fact that the tertiary generally have more side effects than the secondary amines. In general, these medicines work by blocking the reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine, sort of like an SNRI, really. And by blocking the reuptake, you have more that's available in the synaptic cleft. They are pretty slow in terms of their half-life, so you can usually take them just once a day as opposed to some of the MAOIs, which you have to divide up. They're also broken down in your liver. You can test blood levels of TCAs. Sometimes people use this to know how much they should dose it or, or if somebody's even taking this medicine. For standard outpatient treatment, for instance, of mild depression, we tend not to do that. Tell me more about the side effects of these medications. That's, again, we're thinking about what receptors are these hitting? And TCAs hit many different receptors. They're hitting the muscarinic, those are your M1 receptors, your histamines, those are your H1 receptors, and also your alpha-adrenergic receptors. As a result, you could probably imagine what some of the side effects might be. Yeah, I mean, I could think of cardiac effects. Sure, from your adrenergic. The adrenergic, uh-huh. yeah. The anticholinergic effects. Sure. Antihistaminergic effects, like weight gain, sedation, uh-huh. decreased seizure threshold. Sure. Also diaphoresis, tremor, things that are also coming off your muscarinic and histaminic receptors. TCAs are also pretty dangerous in overdose, right? Yeah, they can be dangerous in overdose. Because they affect your cardiac conduction, they have the potential to prolong phases. For instance, the QRS and the QTC, which can cause arrhythmia. There's also the risk of anticholinergic toxicity and a huge amount of overdose. So is there anything we need to do to make sure people are safe before we start these medications? Yeah, if I was starting a TCA, I would definitely ask somebody about their cardiac history. So if you have you had heart disease in the past, has anyone in your family had issues with heart disease? 
I would definitely check their electrolytes, especially their potassium. And if somebody's older than the age of 40, I would definitely get an EKG to check what their baseline is before I started those. What are some common drugs that we might see in the TCA class? I want to talk about five, which is going to sound like a bunch, but I want to break them up into two categories. So amitriptyline and imipramine, and then related to those, they're breakdown products because the breakdown products are actually drugs of their own that people have found. So amitriptyline blocks more serotonin than norepinephrine. And we said in general, remember TCAs block both serotonin and norepi, but you'll see sometimes they fall more on one than the other. Amitriptyline blocks more serotonin. It also binds the histamine and muscarinic receptors. So amitriptyline is associated with things like sedation, weight gain, anticholinergic side effects. Amitriptyline is broken down into nortriptyline, which I'm going to put on the back burner for just a second. Amitriptyline, common dose might be like 25 milligrams at bedtime. Almost all TCAs are dosed at nighttime because they cause people to feel tired and sedated, and that's not a feeling that people like during the day. Typically, you might increase the dose of amitriptyline up to 150, 300 milligrams. This is also pretty common of all TCAs, so I'm only going to mention if they're outside of that broad range. The other one I said to talk about is imipramine. Similarly, this also blocks more serotonin than norepinephrine. It also hits your alpha-adrenergic receptors, so that's going to cause you more sympathomimetic side effects, things like orthostasis, as well as the histamine muscarinic receptors, sedation, weight gain. Man, both of these sound kind of rough in terms of the side effects. They are rough. Let's talk about the two breakdown products. Nortriptyline is the breakdown product of amitriptyline. In contrast, it raises the levels of norepinephrine more than serotonin, but it binds less to the histamine and muscarinic receptors, and so they have fewer side effects as a result of that. It's about twice as potent, so the doses tend to be lower, more like 50 to 150 milligrams over the course of a day. I would imagine because it blocks norepi more potently, it's also pretty good for pain. I know amitriptyline is already used for pain. Maybe nortriptyline might be another good alternative. That's a great point. Absolutely. And then desimipramine is a breakdown product of imipramine. This also blocks more norepinephrine than serotonin, also less binding at the histamine muscarinic receptors, less sedating, less anticholinergic, and that's why it's generally a little bit more tolerated. This one can actually be dosed in the morning or at nighttime because some people it can be actually a little bit activating. Now, the last medicine I want to talk about is doxepin. Of the cyclic antidepressants, doxepin binds the strongest at the histamine receptor, and thus it's the most sedating and the most causing of weight gain. You might ask, why would anyone take this medicine? I was just about to ask that. Great question. Sometimes you're looking for sleep in particular. If somebody's struggling with sleep, people will occasionally use this medicine. We're going to come back and talk about medications for sleep in a couple episodes, so stay tuned for that. So the TCAs that we talked about, we have these two drugs, lots of side effects, tend to block more serotonin as opposed to norepi, and then you have their two metabolites, nortriptyline, disipramine, block more norepi, have fewer side effects. Yeah, that's a great way to set them up. Phew. We have talked about a lot, and we've gone pretty quickly. 
Let's recap real quick. First, we talked about MAOIs. These medicines aren't super commonly used these days. Yeah. Both the MAOIs and the TCAs. I mean, there, there just tends to be other antidepressants that are cleaner, fewer side effects, and people get better on those without needing to go to these third-line, fourth-line agents. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd say in general, people try at least one SSRI, if not two or three SSRIs before switching to maybe an SNRI and then thinking about these. Some of them have a lot of side effects like MAOIs. You think about the food and you do have to modify your diet probably a little bit less than people used to think and maybe a little bit more specifically, but it can be quite restrictive. And TCAs can be tricky because of the side effects and also the potential for overdose. They're very lethal in overdose and you wouldn't want to prescribe that class of medication to uh, patients with high potential for suicide. That's definitely worth thinking about. So you may not see these right away, but they're definitely still used these days. One of the reasons that we are using TCAs in particular is for pain, chronic pain, neuropathic pain. And like you mentioned earlier, some of the TCAs, especially the ones that are more tolerated, can be really useful. You might also think about some of the other antidepressants like duloxetine, which is used for chronic pain. That would be in the SNRI category. Right. Most people would probably try duloxetine, but if it didn't work, then maybe consider switching to a TCA. Especially if you're talking about somebody who has really intense depression and really intense pain at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So TCAs, MAOIs, we don't use them as often these days, but they do have their selective uses and you might see them on occasion. Absolutely. We're going to keep talking about more medications over the next few episodes. If there's something you'd like to hear about in particular, let us know. You can check out our website where you can also send us comments. Our website is www.psychessentials.org. Yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. We're at Psych Essentials. If you're on Twitter, send us an at message. Is that what people call it these days? I don't know, but I like that. We love at messages. Get at us. Lindsay will respond. You can also check us out. We're on iTunes where you can always rate, comment, and share Psych Essentials. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's a link on our website. As always, people, places, and details are changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.